Good afternoon, church family. I hope that video was uh, encouraging to you and just stirred all kinds of emotions. But you were ministered to, I'm sure, just watching the images, hearing the sounds of the day, the cross, the resurrection. Did you enjoy those videos today? Amen. I know uh, as I was preparing for this Sunday... (laughs) I'd watch them and I get kind of hyped up. Like, I have my own little office in the basement, and that's by design because Megan can kind of cast me out to the basement and um, I can be with myself and my media equipment. And I was watching these videos. I got to tell you, I was deeply moved. Thankful for creative people. I wish I could say I made those videos, I didn't. Um, but there's some very creative folk out there, which I'm tremendously thankful that they've put something like that together that helps set the scene for us today. Those images are to help us to understand, in many ways, what the people, the followers of Christ, those who were present on the day of the crucifixion, but also the glorious resurrection, the sounds, the passion even the sadness, the darkness that was overcome by tremendous light when the stone was rolled away. And Jesus, like we sang, came out of that grave. So everything today is, is by design. The title for our message is The Victorious Crushing Heard Around the World. The Victorious Crushing heard around the world, or our victorious king. I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 20, and you're probably wondering, that was for effect of, what does he mean by victorious crushing? We're going to get there. I promise we're going to get there. But first, we're going to go to John chapter 20. We're picking up after Christ has been crucified, he's been laid in the tomb for three days. And you can imagine all the emotion, all that was going on. Some were hiding. Some were, a good majority of believers, disciples were gathering in prayer, wondering and waiting, well, what's going to happen now? Some were able to recall the words and teachings of Christ, while others were a little bit more in tremble or bewilderment of what had happened and for a moment had forgotten what Jesus had said, that I would be handed over be crucified, but he said, I will rise again on the third day. And so we're going to pick up where that story left off. And chapter 20, verse 1, it says, on the first day of the week, and keep that in the back of your mind, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And by the one Jesus loved is the one who penned this very gospel. And said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. And at that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. You have to love it. It's maybe just a little bit of a competition a little bit. Who's going to arrive there first? Stooping down, he saw the linen cloth laying there, but he did not go in. 
Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping had been on his head was not laying there with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been laying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't cling to me, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to the Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. I'm going to repeat that. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And so Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. You could just imagine what this encounter was like. Running to the tomb. If anyone here's run, whether a marathon or you've sprinted somewhere, your pulse is racing, maybe your palms are a little sweaty. You're just trying to get to that location. They're trying to get to the tomb to see Christ. And for a moment, we see that they've in a way forgotten what he had said, that he would rise again. So there's a lot of emotions, a lot of things going on, but we see in this commotion with the evidence laying on the the floor of the tomb that Christ is no longer there, that he's risen. And so today I just want to look at this victorious accomplishment that led his followers to this very tomb. And so just to keep in the back of your mind, we want to look at the tomb, and I'm not displacing the cross or making any uh, displacement of it by any means, but just saying for the sake of this story, the tomb was the place, the location, the location, 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 where new creation began. 
at the cross, forgiveness of sins had been provided, the atonement, the necessary atonement, the blood of Christ had been provided. But now at the tomb, resurrection life was now in place. The true new creation had begun because the stone had been rolled away. 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Many times we remain at the cross. In fact, in many places there are, I would say, in some respects, respectfully yet, shrines of Jesus still on the cross. But he's no longer on the cross. It was a means, it was a tool to accomplish what needed to be finished. But he said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit and then he went into the tomb but then was raised And so we want to focus on this new life that began at the tomb. It goes on to say in Corinthians 5, 16, From then on, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Because he's changed things. And yet to love this effect, this this statement of the Apostle Paul, he says, therefore, this speaks to us today, post-resurrection, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, or the old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. At the tomb, when Mary spoke with the living Christ, in a way he breathed afresh into her life, showing her that everything had been indeed changed. Our relationship with him had been restored by divine exchange. Let's go to verse 17 again. He says, don't cling to me. Since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to the Father and your Father and to my God and your God. I just want to draw attention for us here today. This personal dimension, this personal dynamic of what was accomplished through Christ's resurrection. That personal relationship, that closeness that Adam and Eve once enjoyed in the garden but then was taken through deception by the ancient serpent. But through the resurrection, that closeness, that proximity, that intimacy has been renewed and has been restored. It's no longer dread at the foot of the feet of Jesus on the cross. It's now celebration of life. And Jesus emphasizes, I'm going to my father and your father, my God and your God. You see what he's doing there? It's no longer talking about the kingdom and describing the kingdom and talking what the kingdom will be like. He's now saying, you're of that kingdom. You're part of that kingdom through faith in me. Remember how he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. And so by these very words, I'm ascending to my God and your God. My father and your father. There's a personal dynamic, a personal relationship that has been restored. 
I've said it once and I'll say it again. I believe one of the biggest lies of the enemy is saying there is no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that was what was lost in the garden. And so let's go to Genesis 3.15 just for a moment. This is where this whole story began, where the gospel story truly was shouted from the rooftops, if you will, by God himself. And so we look at Genesis 3.8. This is after they have rebelled against the Lord and they did what he told them not to do. They ate from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. They took upon themselves to decide for themselves to determine what is good and what is evil. And being de um, deceived by Lucifer, one of pride and vanity, the very reason why he was kicked out of heaven, there's now this scene in the evening breeze where they have now rebelled and God is going out to meet them. It says here in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked. So I hid. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. We can see this cunningness, this action of this rebellious angel of heaven who very purpose was protect and worship the very presence of God and his vanity, his pride took a hold of him and now he's seeking to, you know, display his pain upon all of creation, his own rebellion upon all of creation. And so she says, says it so eloquently, the serpent deceived me and so I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any, live, any livestock, more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And the reason why we're looking at this passage today in light of the resurrection story is that Jesus had to change things. He had to go through the whole ordeal in order to correct which was what was lost. We can see this right judgment of Father God, but it's also seasoned with mercy and hope. Hope they wouldn't remain in the terrible situation they had found themselves in. They would no longer have to hide or be ashamed because of the rebellion and sin. Because God had a plan. And as we go through like the, the clock striking 12, many, many hours and days and years had gone by. And now it's come full circle to this moment in time, a time of history which the Bible says at the proper time, Christ came to give the atonement so that in him we would have forgiveness of sins and redemption through his blood. Romans 5, 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, 
death spread to all people because all have sinned. But remember that evening breeze and where God came out and said, where are you, Adam and Eve? Now flash forward to the resurrection. In the evening, on the first day of the week, Jesus shows up. He shows up in their midst. In verse 19, it says, When it was evening of the first day of the week, the disciples gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. And Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. And having said this, he showed them his hands. He showed them his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. He was able to declare this peace, this restoration, as the scripture says this in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 5.22, For just as Adam in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. This is what was happening on the first day of the week, the first day of creation. Think about everything that had happened up to this point. God had a covenant and told his people how they could walk in right covenant, and yet all the law could do was to highlight their sin and to show them their sin and their need for a savior. And the accuser of the devil who was booted out of heaven, Jesus said, I saw him kicked out of heaven like a lightning flash. He would come before the throne of God and accuse the beloved of God day after day, night after night, even up to the point of the cross. But then at the cross, leading to the resurrection, there was nothing more that Satan could say. Because it was finished. And so when we think in our minds, when we can transition ourselves, if you will, from focusing on the cross and remaining at the feet of Jesus, and we start to grab hold and grip the hope of the resurrection, we will then start to dispel the things in our life, the things that have held us captive, because we're holding on to resurrection life. And so Jesus, he's showcasing for us this peace, this, this tremendous peace that comes from now this new proximity relationship with God, as the Bible calls righteousness and right standing. And so with the, the title of the sermon, it's rightly titled, The Victorious Crushing. Jesus crushed the serpent's head. This is no light story. This is a big deal. This is big stuff. No boxing match on earth could ever, you know, contend with this story of epic proportion. This cosmic battle, this divine intervention that in Adam all die, but in Christ we're all made alive. This is the very hope on the very night of an evening type of breeze when I lost my own father. And there was a song I played for the worship team today. I didn't tell them this, but it was such an overwhelming moment that on the way home, I was so emotionally distressed. I was staring up, it was kind of odd. I'm staring up at the moon, driving my car, and I put on a song by Ron Cannoli, Jesus is Alive. And the hope of the resurrection just washed over me. And the, and the lyrics were like, Hallelujah, Jesus is alive. Death is lost, is victory. And the grave has been denied. And I'm singing these words. I'm singing this song, remembering the hope 
of the resurrection. And so Jesus, in a similar way, is going to his fathers who are experiencing even dread and sorrow that their beloved shepherd, teacher, savior is gone. But yet for a moment, they forgot that he said, I will rise again. And he told the mother Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even if they should die, they will also live. This is something that comes full circle for us today as we we think of this story for loved ones and friends who are their beloved departed. They have the hope of the resurrection. Their spirit is with the Lord. And we too are looking forward to that day. Whether we breathe our last breath or we're still alive and well when Jesus Christ returns, the hope of the resurrection remains sound and true because of that crushing that occurred. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm about to wrap up. 1 Corinthians 15. It speaks of this glorious transformation that is ours. We make no mistakes about it. We know full well that our bodies are corruptible. We experience sickness. We experience disease. And yet by the hope of what Christ did in the resurrection, by his stripes, we are healed. It says here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53, for this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility. And this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? This is something that we're looking forward to on God's calendar. The day of the Lord. On the day of the Lord. And so Jesus, as he's talking with his disciples, he appears to them, he reassures Mary, he reassures everyone in attendance, and he's affirming to them, if there was any doubt, everything that I've said to you is true. And therefore, in my Father's house, there's a place for you. Remember what he said before he ascended, long before he ever went to the cross. He said to his followers, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not the case, I would have told you. But I'm going there now or soon to prepare a place for you, but I will come back for you. And yet in this interaction, in this moment, as I said, that some had forgotten, including a man by the name of Thomas, And we're going to park here and and wrap things up. And I'm going to uh, invite the worship team to come in about five minutes, okay? So Brad, you can can be the marching marching band, if you will. And so we're going to look here. Thomas is not present when Jesus returns more than a few times. He tells them, peace be with you. And yet in a way, he's kind of missed out on the moment. 
It says here in verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. Could you imagine his emotions? Like, I I missed it? (laughs) I missed the whole thing? But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger in his side into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I'll never believe. In a way, he's kind of like signaling to them. Well, because I wasn't here, I'm getting my back up. How come you guys got to see and I didn't? You got to love how Jesus, again, this personal dynamic of bringing peace and restoring, even in, in places of doubt, an emotional um, distraughtness, if you will. He says in verse 26, a week later, his disciples were indoors and Thomas was with them. Good on Thomas, he's there. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And keep in mind where it says the doors were locked. There's a reason why this is important. The doors were locked. He said, peace be with you. There's a recurring theme here. Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, because he knows, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Sometimes Thomas gets a really bad rap here. And for sake of point, for sake of time, I want to look at another perspective here. There's two things that happen. Thomas is the first disciple post-resurrection to say, my Lord and my God. The other disciples and other interactions with meeting Jesus post-resurrection, they were afraid to ask if he was the Christ. Because they recognized him, and yet, Sue, he was different. He was the same, yet different, because he had been clothed. His body had been transformed. He was the same, but different, because of this resurrection life. And yet, Thomas, once he saw Jesus, he heard him, and what he had said to him, he said, my Lord and my God. And I believe verse 29 is more so not only encouraging those in that room, but reaching forward to today for you and I, because we don't have the benefit of being present in that room. But we believe not by sight, but by faith. He says, again, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. The writer goes on to say, Jesus performed many other signs in their presence that are not written in this book. But these are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You not only have forgiveness of sin, forgiveness for the rebellion in which we've all lived, but we also have this hope of resurrection life. We don't have to see and see the marks in the hands. But just by faith and faith alone, we're saved. We can experience that resurrection life. That's the truth of the gospel. That's what the gospel of grace is all about. That's what the favor of God represents. 
We don't have to see to believe. And so he encouraged Thomas. He encouraged those in his midst. And then Jesus goes on to say this. Okay, guys, you've seen this. This Everything that was written has been fulfilled. The stone has been rolled away. I am risen. But we're never meant to stop there. He tells his followers in Luke 24, verse 46. He said this. This is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. And he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up to heaven. And after worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. This was his plan all along. It wasn't meant to be just a personal encounter, a personal exposure just for the twelve. It was meant to proceed out that this new creation, this new life was for all people. And the great thing is Jesus is now saying, I'm ascending to the Father, my God, your God, my Father, your Father, and I'm sending you. In many ways, they were going to carry the torch on this first day of the week in which everything had changed. Now the followers of Christ had a mission. They had a mission that they were going to accomplish together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before he departed, Jesus said to them, peace to you. Peace to you. In another one of the Gospels, it said that Jesus breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. They knew that they couldn't do this without the help of Jesus. That he would walk them in resurrection life. And so my encouragement to you this afternoon, don't be afraid to go and tell friends, family, co-workers about the resurrection. Sometimes it may seem outdated. It might even seem uncomfortable. And you know what? Sometimes it is. I've been called so many names in the book, you wouldn't believe. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Not only does our Heavenly Father see and our Lord Jesus see, but angels in heaven rejoice for each name, every soul that comes to faith in Christ. Imagine how many angels on a daily basis are rejoicing when even one comes to faith. And so I want to encourage you today as just like the angels encouraged Mary Magdalene to go and tell the disciples, to gather the troops, if you will. Allow that voice speak to you today. Go and tell so-and-so. Go and tell that friend that's been on your heart. Go and tell that friend. Go and tell that family member. Because here's a promise in Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. In a way, he's saying, I stand at the door of every human heart, knocking persistently, waiting for the door to be open to me. And just like we respond to the resurrection, hope, and life, the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father, 
We should desire for others to experience that same resurrection hope in life. It was the victory that was heard around the world, the crushing, the sound of victory that changed everything. From the sound of the nails to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To it is finished. In your hands, I commit my spirit. And then three days later, the stone was rolled away. And this whole new encounter, this whole new resurrection life, this new creation began. And now you and I are living testaments of this new creation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have risen. Lord, that your word speaks to us in the here and the now. Sometimes it can be a little bit fearful. We can be afraid. But Lord, as we look at this story and, and to see how even your followers who saw miracles and wonders on a daily basis, when we see how they interacted on the day that all this happened, on the day of your resurrection, even in the bewilderment, even in the uh, amazement, maybe even the, the trembling or even the forgetfulness, even for a moment that God, you showed up and you told them, peace be with you. Father, thank you for that same peace that reaches into our spirit, stirs us, moves us, and empowers us to experience the resurrection life that you said would come. Lord, I ask you would continue that work. You promised that anyone who believes in you would have eternal life, everlasting life. And out of him and her would flow rivers of living water springing up to everlasting life. Move in our midst, oh God. Just as you came out of that grave, as you came out of that grave, Lord, we run to you. Thank you that you wrap your arms around us and you give us peace and life. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen.